Hello, listeners. This is PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon, and this is PSG Small Talk for Sunday, April 29th, 2018. And on today's show, we will cover, because we have to, the PSG versus Gingam draw at the Parc des Princes. I will also give you one more shameless plug for the World Cup project, which drops tomorrow morning alongside this podcast. You'll hear one after the other. And I am very excited for it. It's been a lot of work, but we are at a point where we can give it to you. So I'm very excited about that. And I will have a special guest on on the second half of this show to discuss the firing of, well, not the firing, the resignation, I'm doing air quotes right now, of Unai Emery at the end of the season and the potential arrival of Tomas Tuchel. So um, it's a... It's an old favorite, a friend of the show. You'll enjoy his presence on it, believe me. So, let's talk about Gingamp because we have to. This was a horrible performance by PSG. I mean, Gingamp kicked their ass. For 95% of the game, Gingamp were the better team. Jimmy Breon was fantastic. All, I can't even name them all. Every Gingamp player, Johansson, the goalkeeper... They were just so good, and they were so determined, and they were hustling after every ball. They pressed PSG the entirety of the game, and PSG couldn't be bothered until they fell behind 2-0 and realized that they were going to lose their two-plus-year Liga Parc des Princes undefeated streak to Gingamp, and Edinson Cavani thankfully converted a questionable penalty and it was Edinson Cavani's header, a free header in the 82nd, which tied up the score. And that's how the game would end. The game would end 2-2. Two to two. It's just It wasn't very good. And yes, I, I feel like PSG are officially on vacation. And you don't want the end of a season to feel like you're counting down the games until it's over. But I feel like we're at that point now where we're starting to count the games down get this season over with, get Emery out the door, and let's start building this thing back up again and getting ready for the beginning of next season. I don't want it to feel like that because I think it's a disservice to the team and the players who are trying for the most part. But my goodness, it was just... and It started with Emery's tactical decisions at the beginning of the game. And I hate to talk about tactics because I'm not a tactics expert. And I'm not one of those people that claims to be one when they've never played at a high level in their life. Not to say that you can't analyze tactics if you haven't. It's just not something I would hang my hat on. But playing Tiago Mata, Julian Draxler, and Giovanni Lachelso together is just a dumb idea. Add that to playing Levin Kozawa and Danny Alves on the uh, on the fullback positions. You're not playing with a defense. There was no defense at all. Tiago Mata can't move. He's a dinosaur at this point. He is 36 years old. He shouldn't be on the field. Find someone else, put Lachelso back there, and put Nkunku up front, which is what eventually they did, and lo and behold, it worked. They started playing better. The minute they took Tiago Mata off the field, they started playing better. And it took Unai Emery almost 60 minutes to do this. 
And again, I'm not one of those people that wants to get on Unai Emery, but goodness, like at halftime, you see this guy's moving in cement and you still bring him out there and you still keep him out till the pretty much the last possible minute before he collapsed on the field. And then you give no defensive protection to Draxler, no defensive protection to LaCelso, and it just becomes Highway 88 to the goal. And King Gomp absolutely deserved what they got in this game. But this was a really naive um, lineup decision by Unai Emery. And I thought his subs helped, obviously, because it couldn't get any worse. Um, Mbappe got better as the game went on. Edinson Cavani was the heart and soul as he's been in the past. He made sure this team didn't lose. It was his responsibility. He took it on his shoulders and he made it happen. Angel Di Maria um, vacillated from effective to chicken with his head cut off. This was just not great. And I'd say the less we say about this game, the better. PSG now on 91 points after 35 games. They still have a chance at the Magic 100. They would have to win all three of their remaining games, which they can do. Obviously, they're favored in all of them. But the way they're playing right now, it doesn't seem like they're very interested in doing that. It seems like they're trying to rest up a little bit. And still, I'm still frustrated that they're not allowing Tim Weah, at least at the end of games, to try to give them some sort of spark. I think they want to bring him in if the game's a blowout. But I think at this point, just just put him in, see what happens. Can't you can't um, it can't really be any worse than what Di Maria was giving you in this game. PSG will play on Friday against Amiens on the road. Then they will come back to the Parc des Princes to hoist up their Ligue 1 trophy and potentially their Coupe de France trophy against Rennes, and then they will finish out the season against Caen on the road. In between that will be the Coupe de France final against Les Herbiers. Hopefully they show up for that one. I think they will. And that's your season. Now, I want to say something else, too. I really feel like the PSG fan base, especially the French-speaking one, the, the actual pet fans in France, really did Thomas Meunier dirty this week. I think they were wholly unfair to him. I think it was harsh, and I think the booing that he got was totally undeserved. You watch Thomas Meunier for the last two years. That guy gives his all for the team. There's no doubt that Thomas Meunier is giving 100% every time he steps on the field. He may not be the most vocal guy in the world. He may not be the most boisterous, but he gives an effort. And he works hard and he genuinely cares about his teammates and the people around him. He's a very thoughtful man. He's a lover of the arts. He chose to go to Paris for that for partly that reason. And he gets crucified for liking a post showing Marseille's TIFO before their Europa League game, which as a PSG fan, I could admit was really beautiful. And it probably took a lot of time and effort to put it together. Congratulations to the Marseille Ultras for pulling that one off. That was a really nice-looking TIFO. Yes, should Thomas Meunier have posted that? Yeah, probably. He sh- probably shouldn't have. He probably should have known better when it comes to irrational fan bases and what you can and cannot get away with. 
But my goodness, like, give this guy a break. And don't crucify him for a mistake that isn't really that big a deal. Worry about what he does on the field. Don't worry about what he does off the field. And speaking of that, Danny Alves, who is one of the most honest footballers you will ever meet, gets crucified for being honest. He likes, he loves Barcelona. It was the club he grew up at. It was the club that he won the most things at. Of course he likes them. What is he supposed to say? Ew, Barcelona, icky. No, he likes them. He He loves them. And yes, Would Danny Alves go back to Barcelona if they asked him? Probably. But they're not going to ask him because it's a ridiculous hypothetical. Danny Alves is just being honest. And yes, it's probably not the right thing to say, knowing that you have a bunch of irrational people as your fan base. And every fan base is irrational. Let's not just talk about PSG's fan base. All fan bases are irrational. So, yes, they should have known that this was going to get an overreaction. But these incidents are way more a reflection on us as fans than on them as players. And more importantly, on them as men. Make sure to follow us on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm getting these plugs in because I didn't get them at the end of our part two with our special guest. And it's coming tomorrow. Tomorrow morning or Now, depending on when you hear this, the World Cup project is officially, officially dropping. The first episode will be with Guillaume Delaporte of PSG Talking, and we discuss the checkered history, the wonderful, strange, weird history of the French national team, Le Bleu. It's awesome. We've, uh, as a team, we've heard it. It's great. I did it. I feel really good about this. We have seven episodes already in the can, ready to go. I still have a few more I need to record with some of our uh, contributors and friends, but we should have those done fairly shortly. You are going to get 12 episodes of one of the most unique things I've ever done, one of the most unique things that PSG Talk has ever done, and possibly one of the more unique podcast series you will ever hear. It is the World Cup from a fan's perspective, made by fans. Not We're not pundits. We're not analysts. We're not really even journalists. We are fans. And as fans, we want to give you the best possible perspective. The perspective of people that watch these games, that live and die by these games, that watch these teams that are knowledgeable about them. This is as unique a look at the World Cup as you will see. Episodes will drop Mondays and Fridays. And you will have a different topic every week, a different contributor every week. And it will all lead up to the final episode, which will be me and John Olangi with a massive mega World Cup 2018 preview that you will not want to miss. The cherry on top of what will be a long, enjoyable, fulfilling journey for all of us. This is, uh, and sorry if I'm so excited, but I'm just so damn excited. I'm really happy to do this. I'm really happy to bring this to you. I can't wait. Get ready. The World Cup Project is here. 
And on the other side, you will hear me and a special guest break down the news of Unai Emery's resignation here on PSG Small Talk. So on Friday, it was initially reported in L'Equipe that Unai Emery had told his players that this would be the last five games that he would coach. And in the Friday afternoon press conference, Unai Emery confirmed that. Um, I think we basically already knew that he was going to be gone at the end of the year. We just didn't know how the announcement was going to be made or when. Right now, I am joined by PSG Talking contributor and founding father, David Wood, who is here to give his thoughts on, I guess, the Unai Emery experience, such as it was, and what went wrong, what could be uh, fixed in the future, whatever he wants to, whatever he wants to talk about, wherever he wants to take this. So, David, let me start with the first question. Who do you think had a better run in this context, Unai Emery as PSG manager or Bill Watts as WCW president? <laughs> I, I was not expecting that question. <laughs> I was expecting you to say Lauren Block something. No, no, we don't do it that way. I think Emery did about as well as he as he could have done. Um, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of unluckiness involved. Um, certainly outdid Bill Watts. Uh, I guess the way the way I look at it now in retrospect is is that Emery is kind of a prototype for what we're going to do from here on out. Um, you know, there was that flux basically the past couple months um, of where the hell is this job hunt going to go? Um, and that's... Uh, it, 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 it left us with this question of, like, are we going safe? Are we going with a big name? Um, or are we going to try again for the big switch? Because that was what everyone thought Emery was going to be. You know, Lauren Blanc was the, the picture of um, the picture of a conservative coach. You know, his assistant manager does all of the training. I play football manager. I know how that feels. Um his assistant manager did all the training. A very hands-off guy, not t- not prone to tactical switches. And when he did, it was a total disaster. Um, and you have Emery come in with this tactician's reputation, a tinker guy, you know, video analysis and training, hands-on, whole walks around with a clipboard everywhere. Um, and we all expected, you know, just a rapid switch from that lethargy that we had been accustomed to under Blanc. Um, and in the end, it just ended up being a transitional reign. You know, I, I went back and I looked at some of the, the articles that I and, and others uh, wrote um, when Emery was was announced as the new coach. Um, my favorite being Krichowiak, the perfect signing for Emery's PSG. This was a very ambitious article by me uh, on July 10th at, at a point where we haven't even seen the team play yet. Um, but it's making all these assumptions, and they're very telling assumptions. They're they're um, they're saying that the midfield is is not going to be so static anymore. That um, we're going to play with a with a destroyer. That that uh, the team is going to be a little bit more structured. That it's going to press a little harder. Um, and that Krichowiak was the herald of the of the four two three one. Of course, none of these things were true. We switched to the four two three one a couple times, and then um, went back to went back to the more conservative formation. 
Um, but now with with the Tuchel rumors, you know, it's kind of Emery all over again, except this one comes in with a little bit more of, of license to change things, I think, um, because the kind of half in, half out, um, we need to change this, but also keep the dressing room happy uh, strategy clearly did not work out. So that's my piece. Yeah, and I, and I agree with a lot of that. And I, I found that in, in my sort of big picture analysis of what happened here, I just feel like he didn't have, and this is sort of a buzzword, but the temperament to sort of come in and see his ideas to their fruition in the sense that he wasn't willing to sort of die on his shield for his ideas and for his concepts. He felt like a guy who's very much willing to compromise what he wanted to do to make people happy. And I think at the beginning, he felt like he needed to do that to sort of have any longevity in the job at all. But what I think ended up happening is you got this team that never really found any sort of identity. And you'd see in Liga, you'd see this team dominate because for the most part, it should dominate the way Bayern dominates in the Bundesliga or the way Juventus should be dominating in Serie A with the difference in their financials and all of that. But in the Champions League, you would see it really pronounced, which is you didn't know what the team would be from minute to minute. And you'd see them sort of, on occasion, play the way they played under Laurent Blanc. You'd see them play a little bit of what Emery wanted them to do. You'd see them basically play Neymar ball. And there was never this cohesive strategy and plan. And I think, as as begrudgingly as I say this, I think what Liverpool proves is that you can you can advance in this Champions League as long as you have sort of a cohesive plan and an identity that you can go to again and again. And I just feel like once Emery compromised it at the beginning, he was never really able to get the team to do what he needed them to do to be successful. So in the end, you just basically got a team with talent that had some good ideas, but never were able to sort of put them together into an actual battle plan to win anything in Europe. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's, I, I agree with that completely. It, it's, it's astute to, to point out the lack of identity, um, because even now, you know, even with the addition of Neymar, even with knowing where all of the positions are going to be stacked, you can't really say we have a dominant ethos. And in all the big games, I think you can point out huge differences in the team's approach from game to game. I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing, as we've seen. Yeah, and you looked at those, talk about those Real Madrid games and what I think they showed, which is you can't honestly say that Real Madrid has a very specific identity. Their identity is almost like just being a great clutch goal-scoring team. It's not like they do one thing. The identity is that they're Real Madrid. Yes, basically. But you don't see, you know, again, but you could talk about Barcelona in the late 2000s and early 2010s. You knew they had an identity. There was a very specific way that they played. Real Madrid was ju- is just, I think, was just too much for him. I'm not sure any coach would have been able to sort of get through, P- get PSG through it. But Emery was just definitely absolutely ill-equipped yeah. to, to go against a team that just can tactically morph itself at any sort of moment. And I go back to the 
critical uh, last, let's say, 20 minutes of that first leg, and you have Emery making the change that he'd been working on for three, four months. Like, it wasn't some sort of surprise that he did this. He'd been doing this for three, four months, if you paid attention. He would bring Alves up to the right wing and drop Meunier to right back to sort of solidify them a bit defensively, make them a little bit of a better passing team in the final third. And that that started to actually work. But you saw Real Madrid make that counter, bring in, um, bring in Vasquez and bring in Asensio and go more attacking. And Emery just had no answer for it. There was no... He had no chance against that switch. And I think just points out that he had ideas, but he just was never also, besides never having that identity, I just don't think in games tactically he was flexible enough to sort of stay with some of the better teams and the better coaches. Yeah. Um, and that's that's going to be the difference with Tuchel, I think. It's, it's just someone with that reputation coming in for Emery... Um, you know, the, the, the ethos now is no compromises. Um, you know, it, there's, there's an idea that manager power is now going to be the new, um, the new emphasis in the dressing room. And, you know, if there's going to be a tactical identity to be imposed, then it needs to be imposed immediately. Um, hopefully the, the entire club hierarchy can get behind that or else we're going to have another nightmare in recruitment um, like we did at Emery's first summer, which we're still kind of recovering from and haven't been yeah. able to offload those yeah. players. People underrate how just terrible that, that window was. I mean, yeah. it, 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 it just set the club back two years. We almost would have been better keeping Steph Bowley. <laughs> well, also, and I, I just kind of want to get your thoughts on this quickly. If the rumors are true that Tuchel was a um, an, a hire from the Emir, meaning the the, pre, the I guess the Grand Ruler of Qatar, picking <laughs> Toma Tuchel to be the manager, kind of going over the heads of Henrique and Nasser, what does that tell you? Because if that's true, it really does signify a change in the way that Qatar looks at this club in that Tuchel's, besides being there to implement tactics, he's there to develop youth players as well. It's what he did at Borussia Dortmund that I think um, would have attracted um, the Qatari owners to him in the first place. So I'm almost thinking that he's going to have the ability to sort of turn this team over in a way that Unai Emery was never able to do. So the influence of a Thiago Silva, Thiago Mata, maybe even Edinson Cavani, or of that, the the players of that like, I don't think it's going to matter as much to him, because I think he has a job to sort of turn the team over and in two, three years have it look very different than it does right now. Right. And, and despite the experience in this team, for somehow the squad is still very immature in its approach to big games. Um, and you can see that in the actions of, of you know guys like Verratti, even long-term stalwarts. Who I mean, he is at this point a, a, a you know a big name in the team um, and a long-term kind of dressing room figure. Uh, but you know the, the way the way the team kind of folds under pressure shows that it needs that rebuilding. Um, and even if the team is younger in a few years, it, it may very well have a more level-headed outlook um, on things. Uh, 
so I mean the the whole Emir overruling thing it sounds it makes a very good story I don't know if I'm inclined to believe it but um, if it is true then uh, first of all it, it kind of makes us re-examine like how how hands on um, the Qatari government just is uh, in this project and um, that they're they are invested in in um, in kind of making a proper new era and that means that the previous efforts of these coaches have been deemed kind of enough of a failure that it warrants a big change. Um, and, you know, no, no government wants to have their hands in a, in a money-sinking failure. Uh, so I think it's good news. Uh, if, if that story is true, it's a bit sensational. But if it is true, I think it's very good news um, because, you know, otherwise people like Nasser um, may be a little bit more um, conservative in their in their direction um, may have been looking for. I know there were some ridiculous rumors like Felix Boas, uh, you know, stuff like that. It just would have been very very bad for the club. I think I think getting someone who has that vote of confidence from an authority on high would be the best case scenario uh, for a club like this because that in, that infer that confers a certain authority on the manager that maybe we haven't had before. Um, you know, Laurent Blanc came in and was kind of the seventh choice, so he's he's in no shape to impose his will. Um, and Unai Emery came in with uh, a really a mediocre pedigree. You have to you have to admit uh, he just won the Europa League, and it was a it was a good final win. I mean, if there's a way to go out, uh, it's it's that way. It was at halftime switch, brilliant tactics, um, things like that. But it didn't confer the kind of man management skills that we needed. And I, I think we should leave it off there because I think that's a very good sort of overview. I would just like to add before um, we go that. Marwan Fellaini just scored a header to put Manchester United up 2-1 in Arsene Wenger's last game against Jose Mourinho at Old Trafford. I know this isn't a video show, but I just imagine me grinning from ear to ear right now. I can I can hardly contain my happiness. I I think I dislike United more than I dislike Arsenal somehow. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I did that. That was a bit. That was a bit of a way to go. This has been a sad little game to watch. Yes, and then, as I would also like to add, future PSG player Marouane Fellaini. <laughs> oh yes, yes, the new the new hero. The new the the new eighty fifth minute hero. Yes. All right. Um, so David, thank you for coming on PSG Small Talk and giving your two cents on the uh, big news on Friday. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's, it's fun to finally be on your baby. You've been on mine. Yes, thank you. I very much appreciate it. So for David Wood, this has been PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon. Au revoir for now.